and environmental systems. Immerse compares timelines in conversations with more than 40 collaborators. Immerse. Immerse. Charlie Morrow for Immerse. Sound, light, space. And, uh, off we go. Captain Rip Heyman, U.S. Merchant Marine, is a sailing musician and musical sailor to many faraway places at sea and in sound imagination. His adventures around the world are an immersion in local realities and global human interactions. Then he returns home to the ear in New York City and its cavalcade of human characters. If no one will listen to his stories, he retreats to the old phone booth in the bar to tell his ever taller tales on the ear radio channel. Immersion for him is diving into the pool of humanity as much as diving into the sea. Previous events include dream sound for sleeping audience, blind sound for blind audience, and on the way a film and sound meditation on his near-death experience. Recent work includes Seascapes, a presentation of Rip's photos of the world ocean and its myriad moods, along with 3D VR, sea sounds. An excerpt of the mix was published on Recital LP from Los Angeles. Rip, it's good to have you with us today. I'm here with Rip Heyman in the uh, James Brown house. Yeah. <laughs> this is an, a bearded and powerful critter. <laughs> is this live? Are we live? We are live. Uh, we're speaking to the future. Remember it was Marconi who invented radio in order to talk to the dead? <laughs> well, you got a lot of choices on You can hear them all on, on the uh, FM dial, all these voices from the past. It's true. The miracle of uh, eternal music. Of course, we're speaking to the future. <laughs> if you are alive in the future, please send me a postcard. I was delighted when I received your reply to my invitation to participate in this book and uh, podcast. Uh, I said, we're talking about immerse. And you said, I don't understand how you could have any immersion unless you're underwater. Yes, I believe most of this, as is discussed, is between your ears. It's an electronic media experience, which is quite different than diving in with your whole body into particular water. 
I mean, the real immersive experience. I'm, I'm a diver, so I go scuba diving or free diving. Or, so, so there's a lot of talk above the water. Until you're down there, you don't really know what what there is. You can see a movie, or you can get in a VR, 3D, Oculus, and you don't get your feet wet. And I consider it immersion means your whole body and your systems and your subconscious are all taken somewhere else which I still think that the immersive technologies that are around today, they're still uh, a bit of a toy without the full experience. So I hear that now some technicians are building body suits that will simulate sensations on the skin, you know, pressure, warmth, coming out of, uh, let's say, space suit technology so they can link your... <coughs> parts of your body to some controlling mechanism so that you can survive in outer space and they have of course a lot, a lot of that in underwater space but there's still nothing like being absolutely naked and being thrown in by surprise you've fallen out of bed like that a couple of times yeah, know, and, and the problem was not falling out of bed naked it was that there was a floor you hit had you just kept falling and then woken up later it would have been a lovely dream Nicely put. Well, one of the uh, immersions that, that you've had that interested me very much is that you have spent a good deal of your time surrounded by sound and a good deal, deal of your time surrounded by the sea. And I, I thought, in a way, that there was a, a certain love of immersion in, in, in that, the total predilection for environments, repeated. Uh, you know, connection to them. I was wondering what, if you recall, just what attracted you towards uh, to, to seascapes and how what got you out there. Whether you got that as a kid. Oh, I had I had some experience as a kid out sailing, or we went on a, I believe, a liner to get to Europe the first time when I was a little kid. So I remember seeing the ocean since I was cognizant. And then uh, once you're really out in the sea far from land, then it's an immersion, but it's a, with a visible 360 plane around you if it's clear. Or if it's not, you can, be, you can feel completely lost in the clouds and the rain and the, and the water. And then you, you're hopefully safe on a boat, but it's about as close you can get to being uh, without any tangible attachments to anything. Except for your life jacket, you know. I mean, that, I mean, people do go out and just jump in the ocean and disappear because they want to be part of this. Like the, uh, who was it, Virginia Woolf, who walked into the surf to end her life. And there, are, there are poets and sailors that just say, that's fine, that's where I want to be, and they go. And I think you get the same thing with some musical experiences, if you're in the right place. And, and, and most music is, uh, let's say, social. You want to be with people, you're dancing, you're having a good time. It's immersion in a you know, kind of a shared consciousness, you know, whether it's a mega rock concert or sitting in a classical music and dreaming away on whatever you're listening to. That's a different immersion. You know, then if you're in a, the right kind of built environment, like we had at the Whitney with the cube that was in the show, where people lay down and then they are more or less uh, surrounded by whatever it is, that's another portal to consciousness there. And hopefully not life-threatening. <laughs>
really you've said it all. I think that's pretty much what I wanted to talk to you about in this interview. If you have some other thoughts, please uh, feel free to jam. You know, we t we too have been out there, you know, exploring the edges of this kind of particularly musical. And uh, when I did my one of my last productions, which was the On the Way film and sound for the near death experience, that's about as immersive as one can get on on a way to a place you may not come back from. But I kept coming back and then did that production. And then when I showed the film that we had done with uh, theatrical lighting, it was all analog, spinning orbs and light refraction in a projection screen that uh, was shot in 16 millimeter, meant to be projected on a ceiling so people could lie down and be immersed in that visual with the sound, with the kind of sweeping sounds of eternity, if you want to call it that. And I showed it at the Banff Center where Pauline Oliveros had the Acoustic Ecology Conference and I, and I showed it there. And people started to get lost in it. And when I later showed it at another medical conference, I was told, you cannot just show this to people. You have to be ready for their psychological re-entry because they will come out with all kinds of hallucinations and memories and good, bad, and indifferent. So um, I was uh, warned not to present it to the public without some professional caregivers, which is, I think, about as far as you can go when you're a musician. You better have your SWAT team emergency medical response for the end of the concert, folks. Sign, sign up here for your therapy. I don't think I really have to promote this, and I never found any production as an installation. This is an interesting moment because um, I never understood the full production. And here I am, part of the impetus for all of this is the, uh, the Immersive Sound Committee director for the International Planetarium Society. And the purpose of putting all this together is to develop the knowledge of, uh, you know, discussion of immersive techniques, but also to stimulate the creation of immersive projects. So it would be entirely possible to make a planetarium or dome experience of one sort or another from, from your content. Is, is the 16 millimeter of sufficient quality or do we have to start from zero? I just digitized a three-quarter beta broadcast tape of it that was made of film. The, the, the film was made by this Italian film director. I don't have a copy of it. Do you have his name? Print. Is he still alive? Yeah, Roberto Bertini. Bertini? Uh, Albertini, if that's correct. He's in Rome somewhere. But he was a um, at NYU, and we shot it at the NYU Film Lab. We set up the, in their black box. I never showed it to you. It, was, it never got broadcast, never got produced. No, it was meant to be a theatrical performance, but I never could get anybody interested because they were all afraid of the topic, basically. And I was warned about it. I said, yes, that's true. I, I thought it would be good for the uh, place like the Rothko Chapel in Houston, the, the Audium in San Francisco, and a few other places that are, you know, cultural access, but they're, they're uh, open space and they can be built in. I like that room at the Whitney. Yeah. That was very similar. We had a platform where people comfortably lie down and look up. That's the, and a planetarium would be perfect. Well, part of this project is to have a listing of shows for planetarium for domes online so people can get them. I don't mean to raise too much of a uh, 
let's say, a psychological warning about it. Because if people are properly informed, then they will not hopefully have bad reaction. But what we found is that people start grieving with the thought of you start to imagine your friends and family that are gone, or you're worried about your own health, or you, all those emotions come out. That, that was the problem. And I only sold two copies of the, the video. They were both to the uh, U.S. Military Trauma Medical Research Group. Fascinating. And they said, we need this so we can show it to our train, our doctors and the field staff that this is a common experience in the battlefield. Severe wounding that's uh, reported very often on military trauma. It's marvelous that you were in touch with your own self enough to create it to the point where you say, yeah, that's it. I mean, to, be, to have produced it means that you've had to been there and say, this is what I experienced. I think your medium then is verifying your experience. Well, I got the, I got the scars to show for it. <laughs> they cut me apart like a tic-tac-toe for breakfast, but I survived. And Pauline was my, my encourager, the international woman of great mystery, but... Uh, but a great voyager herself. Yes, it was definitely up the, the deep listening curve. And then, of course, uh, she and Dick Higgins worked on the CD release. He designed the CD. Really? Yeah. Did it get released? Yeah, it was a deep listening release. Uh-huh. But I could never get the theatrical uh, auspices to put up the the uh, design and then then all the digitization electronic and so, so I remember someone probably it was Paul over at Harvest where he said yeah you can just do that on a computer all you need is a streaming stream yeah. of light and you can do that you can project it I said well it's quite different if it's live theatrical lighting yes like in a planetarium I mean a lot of it's digitized but it's full scale and therefore it's not just looking at a well, tablet mean, or a screen the movie uh, Moonwalk 1 that is a flat screen high at the time, 70 millimeter film. A million mornings forgotten by the mind. And uh, it's being made as a planetarium piece now. And uh, it's the people doing it are close friends and who have a studio. I think we'll just talk to them about, about working on it because they, they have the full knowledge of how to create the, the dome images for different sized domes. This is a Well, I can show you the film. I have it in my I'm working on something uh, to play at my own funeral. I'm working on it. Don't (laughs) rush. The elegy. My elegy, yes. I'll figure out my elegy. Well, is there any sound? that has the right sound for you at, the, you know, at that moment that when you leave or when people gather after you're gone, what would be the, the rip, the rip, um, what could you call it, echo, the echo uh, yeah, of rip? My, uh, my reverb. Your reverb. Yeah, I, I want, uh, yeah, I want a, a reverb so long that I'll live forever. That's a good one. Yeah, I think well, I think Pauline Oliveros, you know, she wrote quite a lot about the, the, persistence of any sound that cushy to these great echo chamber and continuous installations of sound but I remember once saying that whatever sound we make it actually continues to persist in the universe amidst all the other 
interference, but in some ways you could listen for almost anything that's ever been done if you were in the right meditative mood, which is why people hear the voice of God all the time, even though he ain't saying nothing no more. You humans figure it out on your own. I'm tired of you praying to me, man. You look at the water, you have uh, an incredible complexity of wave patterns because they've come from all over the ocean. And even microscopically on a little, and think it's still water. Water is never still. There's always some motion, even at the atomic level. Well, then that's, that's what our elegy should be. We've been making wave music pieces that will be the eternal waves. That's right. Uh, yeah, and uh, that's why uh, we should pass out the uh, audio surfboards. Love it. <laughs> that's fantastic. Keep paddling forever. <laughs> All right, man. Well, nice to uh, chew the uh, digital cud with you. Yeah. Well, that's really marvelous. I uh, continue to bug you in the days to come. Because I like the conversation, Mr. Cobb. All right, well, we'll, uh, we'll uh, continue to uh, man the dikes. We will. It's been wonderful. Good to hear you alive. Over and out. Over and out. Thank you. This is Immerse, the podcast and book. <laughs> we are delighted to have you join us. Immerse is produced by Charlie Morrow, Sean McCann, and Bart Plantenga for Morrow Sound, Vermont, and Helsinki and Recital Edition, Los Angeles. Immerse. 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 An empty shell fall back to the sea.